Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. This is Keldun Swice, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago. I'm also tutored with philosophy at Oxford University. I have two amazing children and one wife. Yeah, yeah, just one. <laughs> That's all I can handle well. <laughs> I'm glad you joined me. My theme is to help you navigate through suffering, so using evidence so you can become more productive than ever. Thank you for joining me. Okay, guys, welcome back. This is Caldoun Swice to Logically Faithful. Thank you for being with me. My theme today is to say that God is with us in our Eden and in our Gethsemane. He is with you in your exaltation and in your affliction. Just this past Sunday in a Southern Baptist church pastored by Frank Pummery, a gunman opened fire and during a worship service killing 25 people, including, including a 17-month-old and an unborn baby. Vice President Pence said that bureaucratic failures were part of the blame for this man getting a weapon. And even the Air Force admitted that they did not report properly about him to the agencies about for that, where he can purchase his weapons and guns where might have prevented this from happening. Terrible, ladies and gentlemen. This is absolutely terrible. And the wife of the pastor, um, Pamori, said uh, regarding her daughter, um, Isabella, we lost Belly yesterday, continued Pomeroy, because her daughter died among the killings. The one thing that gives me a sliver of encouragement is the fact that Belly was surrounded yesterday by her church family that she loved fiercely and vice versa. Our church was not composed of members or parishioners. We were a very close family. We ate together, we laughed together, we cried together, we worshipped together. Most of our church family is gone. Our building beyond repair. And few of us that are left behind lost tragically yesterday. As senseless as this tragedy was, our sweet belly would not have been able to deal with losing so much family yesterday. Wow. This, sadly, ladies and gentlemen, is nothing new. Sadly, it's nothing new. Because on October 1st, just, just uh, at the close of last month, a gunman opened fire in a crowd of 22,000 concert goers on Route 91 Harvest in Las Vegas, killing over 58 people dead and 546 people injured. Virginia Tech, back in 2007, same thing. Terrible deaths were killed over there. Back in, um, uh, in Florida as well, where over 50 people were killed in a nightclub shooting. Sandy Hook, over 26 people, mostly children, were killed. And the gunmen usually take out their own lives in these cases. Hear me clearly, guys. If there is no God, if there is no afterlife, if there is no judgment, then these people clearly got away with murder. Clearly, they got away with murder. Are you willing to buy that? Immanuel Kant wasn't willing to buy that. Immanuel Kant was one of the greatest philosophers in the history of the world. And he argued that justice is essential for us to understand what morality is. Because living a just life is not profitable for us at the end. Then it becomes just as unprofitable as living an unjust life. That's why you need judgment. That's why you need to assume a creator and judge before all of it. Immanuel Kant was wise in his assessment. How do we deal with this, guys? 
I hope I'm going to offer some thoughts here to help us walk through this. First, allow yourself time to grieve. Allow grief to take its course. Not all people who are grieving and suffering are, are uh, doing some mistake or, 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 um, uh, or not living properly. You know, just telling people to get over it. Deal with it. Such is life. That's not the proper way. We are what is called human. <laughs> Wake up. We're called human. And humans suffer. Keep that in mind as we move forward in thinking through this uh, situation. God did allow evil to happen, but that does not mean he causes evil to happen. There's a philosophical important difference. God is fully in charge of things that happen. Just read the Bible. He's the one who sends the plagues upon Egypt. He's the one who devastated the world with a flood. He's the one who sent the storm in the sea when Jonah disobeyed God. He's the one who sent fire to destroy the sons of Korah. God is the one who did this. God is the one who allowed these kinds of disasters to happen. And he's the one who sometimes initiates certain things. But to blame God for evil is different. See, evil and suffering are not always the same thing. You can suffer for doing math or for getting a bad grade and that not necessarily be evil. You can also have something evil happen to you that not necessarily is not sin. For example, um, cancer is, um, is evil, but it's not sin. So there's a difference between sin, evil, and suffering, and it's important to know and distinguish the differences between these. See, God permits evil agents to work. He can override evil. He uses evil. He twists evil to get good out of it for those who love him, who are called according to his will. That's Romans 8, 28. The problem is, what about those who suffer? How do we determine whether they themselves are... Um, are guilty or not. Well, it's not for us to say, like I told you. Uh, we can't know who is. Matter of fact, Jesus was asked this very question uh, when he was um, uh, walking the earth. He was asked about a group of people who were the Galileans who were killed when a tower fell on them. When it fell on them. And the people were asked, Jesus, did those people deserve that? Were they? Well, why did that happen? Well, when Pilate killed people who tried to worship God, he killed them and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. You know what Jesus said? Fascinating. Here's what he said in Luke. He said the following. Uh, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Or you could twist it to modern now, vernacular. Do you think the people in Texas in that church were worse than the other people who did not get killed that day? Do you think the people in Texas were uh, worse? Do you think the people in Vegas who were shot um, in that country concert were worse than others? Do you think the people in um, the Orlando nightclub were worse sinners than others? You know what Jesus would reply? No! I tell you, unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. What Jesus is saying there is, Take the question and turn it back upon yourself. Instead of making judgments upon people, judge yourself. Take out the blame, the, 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 the guilt and sin in your own eyes so that you can be able to see clearly those around you and be able to make judgments wisely. And judgments about events and circumstances, not on people, because that is God's preview, not yours. It's not mine. Third, um, Yes, God allows these things to happen, but what do we do with what is happening? That's a question we need to ask. See, in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring, which is a fascinating story about Frodo, the hobbit, who is one of the most insignificant and weakest creatures in all the planet of the Middle Earth. And he is given the task of saving the entire planet. A simple, humble, little hobbit. Which is a fascinating story, you should read it. 
And Frodo goes through so much pain and turmoil as he tries to journey to Mount Doom to destroy the ring. And in the process, he loses so much and sees so much devastation. And then he says these words as, his wish, as he goes through this pain. I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish it need not have happened in my time. And then, so do I, says Gandalf, his mentor. And so do all to live to see such times. But it is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. We have to take ownership with what we will do with what we know. And guys, the vast majority of events in our lives are not what happened to us. It's how we react to them. That's what makes us and what breaks us. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake and surge. Uh, and I'll add to that, whether there are gunmen or whether there are earthquakes, whether there are cancers or whether there are breakups, whether there is pain or whether there is an F on a test, whether there is a destruction in my city or whether there is a destruction in my soul, I will not give in. God is my refuge and my strength and my ever-present help in time of trouble. And because I trust Him, I can make it through anything. Remember, God walks with you in your Eden and in your Gethsemane. God walks with you in your exaltation and in your affliction. He is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you, and He is with you on the top of this glorious mountaintop. God is with you when your child is born and you're, and you're rejoicing. And God is with you at the gravesite when you're weeping. God is with you when you receive that A and that promotion. And he's also with you when you receive the letter of resignation from your boss who ends up dismantling the company and firing you. He is with you when you receive that diagnosis, when you receive that terrible news, as as much as he's with you when you receive the good. God is there. And he will always be there. I hope these three points will help you. So first, allow yourself time to grieve. Allow others time to grieve. Let them be human. Secondarily, God is in charge, not you. Do not make judgments upon others. Let that judgment be on God's hands because he's the one who judges. And you know what's interesting? That, that judge is himself a wounded judge a wounded one because he has pierces in his hands. Thirdly, remember that God wants us to ask the important questions. And the question we need to be asked is instead of asking why did this happen, but ask, change the question to what can I do with what has happened? And I realize when you're in suffering, that question may come up later, later on after you have healed and gone through that. I hope that helps you. I went through loss myself. I watched my father suffer through cancer, pancreatic cancer to be precise. It was terrible. And I remember sitting at the table at that first Thanksgiving after he died. And the first time in my life that his chair was empty. His empty, his, the lack of his presence there was so powerful. His emptiness there was so powerful. It reminded me how much I appreciated him. And guys, when you see evil happen around you, the emptiness of God in that area, 
the lack of God is a is an example and a light to us of how much we need Him in our world, how much we need Him in our lives, how much we need Him in our legislature. Remember, God walks with you when you're eating in your Gethsemane. Remember that God walks with you in your exaltation and your affliction. I hope that helps. Okay, let's come to the question and answer time. Steve writes, Professor, you talk about evidence a lot, but the Bible doesn't talk about evidence as a way to drive people to God. Rather, it talks about the Holy Spirit and just faith. Why do we need evidence with our faith? Can't we just believe? Thank you, Steve, for that question. Um, Steve, I don't know how long you've been listening to the podcast or how, uh, how far into apologetics you've gotten into, but I appreciate your question. Um, I've struggled with this question on an indirect level when I try to bring apologetics to local communities and churches and, and the struggle with seeing people um, not seeing the value of it because they think only faith is what we need. Okay, let me, let me respond to what you're saying, brother. Yes, the Holy Spirit does convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And that Jesus said, no man comes to me unless the Father draws him. So what's the point of evidence? Well, the point of evidence is that God is amazing. He uses a bush to talk to Moses. He uses a donkey to talk to Balaam. He uses people to talk to, um, uh, he uses the evangelists of the first century to talk to the Roman Empire to turn them around. God uses whatever he wants. And some, for some people, God uses evidence. For some people, he uses a, a, um, a type of love and affection. God uses different things to draw people. Let's not limit God. Evidence is one of the ways he uses to draw people, like Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, and even one of my own mentors, um, uh, J. Warner Wallace. They were drawn to God by evidence. And Steve, by the way, did you not know that you're using logic to dismiss logic? You're telling me that, what's the point of using evidence in the Bible? Well, you're using evidence right now to dismiss what the Bible says about evidence, or dismiss what um, people say about evidence. Is that ironic, man? (laughs) I'm just saying in jest, but that's actually what's happening. By the way, bro, um, faith, the word pistos, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, is a word for trust. Faith is a form of trust. Trust must be legitimate and reliable trust, though. It can't just be blind trust. You need evidence for that, by the way. You need to know that the person you're trusting is actually reliable. How do I know that the Bible has not been changed, which I addressed in the last uh, for the podcast? How do I know that the soul is actually real, which I did address in a blog post just last week? How do I know that God is actually exists, which I'll address later on? How do I know that um, evil itself actually works out for good, which I'm currently addressing and working my way through and how to deal with that? Unless you have evidence to substantiate and ground yourself, you end up in circles. And you can end up believing anything in it. You can have easy fodder for cults. So, Steve, evidence is important for us as believers and as people. Because without evidence, we end up believing anything and anything, everything. That's what I mentioned earlier. See, in Jeremiah, God says, You shall seek me and you shall find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus himself said, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask it will be given to you. For he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And to him who asks, it shall be given. Isn't that awesome? 
Listen to these words from Pascal. Uh, at the age of 31, he said the following, Willing to appear openly to those who seek him with all their heart and be hidden from those who flee from him with all their heart. God so regulates the knowledge of himself so that he has given indications of himself which are visible to those who seek him and not to those who do not seek him. There is enough light for those who seek those who see who only desire to see and enough obscurity for those who desire a contrary disposition for those who do not want to see God allows them not to see for those who want to see God allows them to see and I realize guys that um, there's a lot of cognitive biases there and you have to overcome that but there's also a spiritual component as well if your heart is hardened toward God God allows you to continue in that hardness beware of that because there will come a time when that hardness will overcome you. Steve, I hope I answered your question. For the rest of you, if you have a question regarding the issue of um, what we're talking about, feel free to go ahead and email me at keldoon at logicallyfaithful.com. That's keldoon at logicallyfaithful.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And if your question is selected, it'll be aired on the air. Please make sure you let me know if you'd like me to keep your name and mention uh, what you're doing and maybe a website or an email address if people get in contact with you further. Let me know. So I close this podcast with the words from Matthew West. Do something. The lyrics are as follows. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, thought, how'd we ever get so far down? How ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven, I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. This morning, saw a world full of trouble now. Thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah. I created you. <laughs> now listen. If not, I'm